we are continuing our ongoing Lent series titled, When God is Silent. We've embarked on this journey with a purpose in mind, and that is to delve into the complexities of our faith. Uh, Particularly those moments when we experience silence from God in the midst of those troubling times, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering. And... um, And we do this because we want to be a church that is authentic. We want to be a church that can deal with our pain, but also each other's pain and suffering. We don't want to be a church that fakes it, that just come here every week and give you vague generalities uh, or toxic positive kind of comments. We want to be a church that deals with each other's rawness and realness. And so with this Lent 2024, we as a church will be following in the footsteps of Jesus when He was hanging on the cross saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We want to deal with real pain, with real suffering. We want to show you how God deals with us in our pain and suffering. And, and this is also uh, the paradox of the Christian faith, Christian spirituality. We think... You know, when we are go, ad- adopting a religion or we think we are getting all the answers, but actually, and we think we're going to have clear solutions, but instead we find ourselves still in brokenness, still in pain, still in suffering. And we often have more questions than we had before. And this is very much the paradox of the Christian God. See, we don't find a God who is distant, who is unknowable, uh, but a God who stepped into the muck, into the brokenness, into the, you know, the history of humanity, a God who knows pain and suffering intimately, who knows it firsthand. So, and so as Christian spirituality is like what Samuel Rutherford calls should pop up on the screen, but it's fine. Um, Grace groweth best in winter. And so there's so much profundity uh, in that one line. Imagine if I were to go around asking each one of you today, what does grace groweth best in winter mean to you? Or to you, or to you, or to you? We can walk away here with um, a lot of good things. We can probably walk away very encouraged and my service would be much shorter for me. <laughs> but I'm not that brave yet. I won't do a service like that just yet. So, I recently heard the author of the book which the service is built, of this sermon series is built on. Um, uh, the book is called Un- Unbound. I think some prayer Unbound. And um, the series that we follow with Lent is, uh, is also built on that book by Pete Gregg, uh, the author of this book, um, expl- and he explains this theory about transplanting trees. He says that transplanting a tree in winter might be better than doing it in, in Lent, or in some, uh, spring or summer. In winter, Lent, I was like thinking Afrikaans. Um, <laughs> um, but he says transplanting a little tree is, might be best done before winter rather than in, in spring. And, you know, um, I'm not usually one, I'm usually quite cautious when I take on little 
bits of information or little folk wisdom like that without consulting experts first. And so you, there might be some tree planting experts here that say like, no, I'm, I'm messed it up. But please stick with me because the, the metaphor holds for our faith. It's a, it's a true metaphor for our faith. So if you are a, um, a tree or a plant expert and you, and you hear this theory, just stick with me. And if it doesn't hold true. <laughs> so the theory goes that when you plant a young tree in spring, all its energy goes into producing the fruit and the, tree and the leaves. And it looks impressive at first glance, but then the roots remain shallow. So when summer comes, it withers and fades. So it struggles to sustain itself in winter and so often dies. However, when you plant it in winter, it often appears lifeless, but in the root system, it's actually growing and securing and strengthening. It's a time for reserves to replenish in order to com and, and also a time where common pests die out. So it's a disease to be eradicated. So in essence, this is, in this um, it's the winter season that prepares the tree for new life for the seasons to come. And the metaphor that follows for our faith, it's, it's perhaps that it's in our challenging times, in our winter seasons, when we're facing pain and suffering, that we are being strengthened and prepared and growth for renewal in the spring and summer that is to come. The good, time, uh, the good that lies ahead. And it is in this sermon this morning we will see three things as, as they relate to our faith in the winters in the times when our prayers aren't answered. Firstly, we will see that prayer brings healing, and maybe not always in the most spectacular ways of people standing up out of wheelchairs or um, are healed from illness, but prayer is a process of transformation. It can heal us emotionally uh, from our emotional traumas. And then secondly, we will be going into we will see that God often feels missing in our midst. In those times when He's missing, we, it raises up intellectual problems of where is a good God in the midst of my suffering? Where is a good and loving God in, when we see all this evil around us? And then finally, we see the church, paradoxically, is often the place where we are least likely to feel at home or at ease to express these complex feelings. Uh, but that we are called away from that fakeness, away from that, and to share with one another in each other's pain. But before we continue, I want to say a couple of words up front. I don't think we have all the answers when it comes to pain and suffering. And I don't think anybody really does, especially as it relates to God and faith. And that I'm speaking on a subject where some of you might have experienced way more suffering than I ever have. And so I want to take very care and, and take this subject with extreme caution because I know it, it, it can be done very poorly. And so I think as a church, we really need to wrestle with the, with the difficulties, not just to give each other vague sentiment of comfort. So let's talk about unanswered prayer in the seasons of difficulties. Are you ready? So our first step this morning is to look at our persisting in prayer, even when it feels like no one is on the other side of the line, can bring emotional healing. I think lots of our expectations in prayer can be rectified by just revisiting what prayer actually is. Let's, let's look at what prayer actually is before we continue. You see, often um, 
my wife and I would chat and we would talk about our problems. Often I would want to give solutions. <laughs> but as you know, we don't always want solutions, right? You don't want to just go tell someone about your bad day and then expect them to give you a hundred solutions to fixing it. Sometimes you just want to sit and process, right? Um, and as I grow, grew in my own communication skills and my emotional intelligence, I hope, um, um, I realized that in communication is sometimes processing. And I think prayer often works like that too. It's not so much us telling God to fix our problems. You see, God is not this cosmic vending machine, <laughs> you know, where we slot in our prayers and our faith and therefore the answers come out dropping out from the top of the vending machine. I was in Musenberg, there was this little cheesy coffee shop, Christian coffee shop. It's a, it's a sweet family. But they had this poster on it and we always giggled when we saw it. It's like, uh, prayers go, it was this waterfall and it's like, prayers goes up and blessings come down. But God doesn't necessarily work like that always. You see, prayers, um, so imagine for a moment if we were to relate with one another like that. So if I, my relationship to Nigel or Lee there or anybody really, if I just related to you to see what I can get out of you. Like if I, the only reason I want to have a friendship with Gareth there is to get stuff out of him. Or with my wife, married, uh, to get stuff out. No, but a relationship is much deeper than that. See, communication is much deeper than that. We would be a world run by narcissists if it's only politics, only power, only wanting to get stuff from one another. So why do we try, treat prayer like that? Why do we treat prayer like it's uh, um, only what we can get out of God out of this? You see, prayer is there for us. It's a gift from God to us. And just like my conversation with my wife or any of my friends, I grow and I'm formed by those conversations through processing, through communicating, through dealing with it. And I think prayer does the same for us. We don't necessarily get clear answers from it. But we get formation. We get formed through the process of prayer. You see, process, uh, we, we open our minds to new realities and new possibilities where, where before we might have just sat in our clouds of despair and isolation. But prayer opens us up, and the Christian faith opens us up to community, and the Holy Spirit works in that mixing pot. I recently heard a guy say to one of his friends, and they were sitting and chatting, and he said, imagine, or he said rather, how many blue things did you see when you walked into this room? Now, let me flip that question to you. How many blue things, not looking now, don't look now. So how many blue things have you seen when you walked into this room? You, you probably, you don't really think about that, right? It's not really something that's on your mind when you walk into a room. Or how many red things have you seen when you walked into this room? Now the friend responded to say he didn't see any. And then his friend asked him, now look. How many blue things do you see now? Look on the seats you're sitting. Look at my shoe, which has got plastic under the bottom. It's like constantly sticking here. <laughs> I just stepped on plastic down there. Um, so how many blue things do you see in this room around you? And, you know, he says once your mind has been opened to that prompt or that thing, it opens up pathways and it looks for solutions, right? So prayer, in the same way, has that potential of working like that. 
Prayer works like that. By having someone to process with at any given time, our minds are open to new possibilities. And it isn't just anybody uh, we open our minds to. We open our minds to a God who knows. A God who knows pain and suffering. You know? Therefore, prayer helps us to process our emotions in light of Jesus, His life, His death, and His resurrection. All of these mixed experiences. And we go through these winter seasons. As we go through these seasons, who better to go to than the God who knows? Who knows your pain? Who knows your suffering firsthand? The God who knows what betrayal feels like. The God who knows what loneliness feels like. The God who knows loss, pain, suffering, and death. He knows what it feels like. Sitting, contemplating, meditating, and praying with this God, our suffering will transform into something else. Like the dormant tree in the winter, the season will prepare us for immense growth in the seasons to come. In when spring and summer hits, wrestle with God in your suffering. Continue to pray. Always pray. Don't treat it like God is this cosmic vending machine. But process with God. Reflect on His suffering. Read the Bible. Read the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life and death. And process with that. And process in community. You see, when we are processing these complex experiences with the God who knows and identifies with our pain, and with the Holy Spirit's help, and with the church around us, we would transform. We won't sit in isolation. Our minds will open to new pathways, new realities. We will start seeing the blue in the room, if you like. So we might not always get clear answers, but God has His ways of guiding us through the mist, through the mystery, through the suffering, through those winter seasons. So in the silence, friends, when God feels distance, when He feels like He's not accessible, remember the words of Samuel Rutherford. Grace groweth best in winter. So this brings me to our second point, intellectually, and that is that in the winter seasons, the seasons of pain, loss, sickness, suffering, and gloom, these are the seasons that raise many, many questions. And I think this is probably one of the most difficult things of any faith, of any, I mean, any conception of God has to deal with this answer or this question. Where is God in the midst of our suffering? Where is God when we are going through the pain? When we see friends die, family die, children die. When we see war around the world, we see children in mothers' arms. Where is God in those seasons? And I recently read an account of this man named Eli Wiesel, who was a Romanian-born Jew, a Nobel laureate, there he is on the screen there. <clears throat> uh, some of you might have read some of his works. Uh, but he wrote this book, I think it's a novel actually. I haven't read the book myself. I do now after reading this. And he, this book is titled uh, Night. And he writes about this tragic hanging of two men. Often with novels, there's truth in it. So I think this is a true story. But he talks about the tragic hanging of two men and a young boy in the SS camps in Nazi Germany. And he says that he had 
this boy had the sad face of an angel. The SS guards also forced all the, the people to look onto this, um, this hanging. So all the prisoners had to watch these, this hanging. And the two men were heavy enough to usher them out of this life quickly. Uh, but this boy, he writes about this boy, he says, <clears throat> But the third rope was still moving. Being so light, the child was alive. For more than half an hour, he stayed there, struggling between life and death, dying in slow agony under our eyes. And we had to look him full in the face. He was still alive when I passed in front of him. His tongue was still red. His eyes were not yet glazed. And behind me I heard a man ask, Where is God now? And this is the question of the odyssey, of where is God in pain and suffering and the evil of this world? Where is God now? He asked. Where is He? And I heard a voice within me answer Him. Where is He? Here he is. He's hanging there. So where is God in the suffering we see around the world? See, he's there lying limp in the mother's arms, crushed by buildings and bombs. See, God does not exempt himself from our suffering, from our experiences. He fully participated in it. God sits there in the silence of your trauma, holding you in unwavering love and compassion. God sits there in the shadows of your fear, offering you solace and strength to endure. God sits there in the aftermath of your deepest and darkest painful experience, offering you a beacon of hope. Pray to Him. Where is God when we suffer? He is there with us, as if He is enduring and experiencing it Himself. So when skeptics ask me, or people ask me with questions, and I, I don't treat skeptics as this other human who's a thorn in my flesh. Skeptics have good questions to ask of our faith, and we need to listen to them. So when they ask us, where is God in the suffering we see in the world around us, I think of only one sat I can only think of one satisfying answer, and that is that Christ was on the cross. We are the only religion that makes such a statement, that their God in human history hung on a cross and died a death that's so brutal at the hands of, a, of, a Rome, of the Roman Empire. And from everything I've read on the subject of God's goodness in the midst of human suffering, this is the only answer that I find any satisfaction in. And this answer not only offers us with intellectual satisfaction, but it offers us emotional healing and transformation as well. This answer transforms us. It gives us comfort. It gives us healing. It takes us through the pain. And it prepares us for summer and spring to come. So when our hearts grow cold and we have more questions than, uh, than answers, remember the words of Samuel Rutherford. Grace groweth best. In winter which brings me to my next point which is the problem of the church the church's problem this is culture the church culture I think the problem with the church I think um, is that um, 
I mean, I have attended many, and I think it's more of a Western problem than it is an other world problem. I've attended many churches across the world. I've, you know, attend, I went to churches. I attended churches in New Zealand, Australia. Um, I went to some in England and America and multiple in South Africa. And what I've seen in most of the, the common denominators is that all of those churches struggle with one thing, and that is to have an authentic expression of real life. And I think it's part of our broader Western culture. We can't deal with, with pain and suffering. We can't deal with the person crying and we just want to get rid of them. Or, you know, um, or I just want to go, if I want to cry, I want to just go away. I don't want people to see me in pain. Whereas I've been to churches and townships where people, you know, cry from pain. Cry out to God. Have serious expression of lament. And I think that the, one of the reasons we struggle with it in churches, uh, in our churches, is that we want church to be all perfect. We want the worship to go 100% in the morning. <laughs> we want smoke machines, we want lights, and we want the person crying is, is, is going to be upset the vibe. But we need to deal with real life stuff. The, you know, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 3 to 5, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is Jesus speaking to us. So clearly we as a church have gotten something wrong. Because we often try to make it appear that we have it all worked out. Now if you go to the younger generations and you ask them why they don't want to come to church, it's because they say it's a bunch of fakes. You know, they, if you just talk to the Gen Z uh, crowd, they, the reason they don't want to come to church is they say we're a bunch of fakes, we're, bun- we're hypocrites. We, we always smile and we all got it perfect, if, uh, we got it all worked out until we get into the car back home or on the car towards church. <laughs> we, we go back and talk. <laughs> you know what I mean? So we, we, we put up a show. So how is the church doing? I don't think that great. You see, again, lament is a form of prayer of honestly running to God. You see, in the Bible, we, we come across these people, you know, who, who rip out their beards, rip out their hair, rip off their clothes and put sackcloth on and smear themselves with ashes and they cry out to God saying, why? They don't know where God is, but they cry out to Him in the midst of their suffering. All over the Bible, we get examples of this sort of behavior. You see, lament is that form of prayer that we honestly run to God, screaming to Him in situations of pain. I'm not saying we should now get sackcloth and ash here. We just washed the carpet, so we just want to... <laughs> uh, but um, as a church, you know, we are people confessing Christ to be Lord. We, cr- we confess this, res- this crucified God, this God who died on a cross, was brutally murdered. We can't be all perfect of worshipping someone who's gone through so much pain, right? We can't be all snazzy. We need to wrestle with our pain and suffering. The Bible calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn, right? You've heard that saying. But when we normalize faking it, when we normalize being fake and... Um, and perfect and all of these things, then we can no longer even rejoice with one another when we rejoice. We become envious and jealous. 
And instead of mourning with each other, we just put on a bright smile and pretend everything is fine. And here we are called by Jesus and the, re- uh, the testimony in the Bible to express our true realities, to mourn with, another, with one another when we go through pain and suffering. And the beauty about being honest in lamenting is that it will bring true rejoicing again. If I mourn with you, I'm going to be very happy and rejoice with you when you go through the, when you reach uh, redemption, right? But if, if you always got it perfect and I'm struggling in my, in, my, in my quiet room and I can't bring my struggles to the front, I can't rejo- you know, we can't rejoice with one another anymore. It just becomes this contest of who's more perfect than the other. So, that, so then in coming back full circle and concluding the this, this sermon, in times when our prayers seem to echo in silence, our first step is crucial. It's persisting in prayer. It's not treating prayer like this, um, this transactional relationship with God, asking Him for things the whole time. It's a conversation throughout our days, throughout our struggles. And we wrestle with God in our prayers. And then when our, answer, our prayers are unanswered and we get skeptical and we have questions, why am I experiencing this? Let's remember that grace groweth best in winter. Let's remember the God who suffered, the God who identifies with you in your suffering, in your pain, in your, in your winter seasons. That that truth of a, of a crucified God can actually present so much comfort to our experiences and therefore may we as a church reflect that truth may we change the culture of the church um, where we have to have it all worked out everything has to go according to plan everything has to be perfect we know you have to have these lights we have to have these smoke machines we have and, and in the in in the process we hide behind walls Let's be an, a church that is honest with one another, that serves one another, that cares with one another, that mourns with one another and rejoices with one another. So in seasons of silence where God feels distant, remember, grace groweth best in winter. God is preparing you for the growth. He's offering you the potential to grow in the seasons to come. And if the season doesn't arrive in this life, There's resurrection. Jesus did rise from the dead. And He will resurrect us. There's a future hope that that goes beyond all understanding. Where everything will be made right. I preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Where the path of redemption is towards renewal and restoration. And when Christ comes again, He's going to make everything right again. He's going to wipe every tear uh, from our eyes. Let's pray.